Hi everyone, welcome back to Seek First Podcast, where we share biblical truth and engage in today's culture. Rick Brown here. Take a minute to subscribe to Seek First Podcast. I really appreciate it. Stick around, I think you're going to be encouraged. Spending time with the Lord will be the best part of your day. So let's get ready, grab your Bible, prepare your heart and your mind, let's roll. Always such a joy to be with the family here at Calvary San Jose. It's really home away from home through the years, having so much relationship, serving under Pastor Don, um, Mike's father. And then when I came, Mike was in junior, uh, a junior in high school, and uh, his younger brother, Donnie, was a freshman. And so being the youth pastor, we joke now, but uh, his little brother was a handful, <laughs> and he tried to get me fired every week. He came in one day, and he, he was really exasperated, and I said, what's your problem? We were also playing a lot of one-on-one -on -one basketball, and I was creaming them all the time, which really bugged him. And uh, he said, try as I may, I've been trying to get you fired, and my dad must like you. So, by God's grace, I survived <laughs> through that period of time, and but the McClure family has been such a blessing, and Mike and Brenda, and seeing what the Lord <clears throat> is doing through their faithfulness here in the Bay. And this is a beachhead for faith and freedom. And in a time that is unprecedented in our nation, godly leaders are in short supply. Have you noticed that? You look around, and where are they? Now, reading through the good news, I pray that you've joined in because it is life-changing to read God's Word and have God's Spirit minister. This is how revival happens. The Spirit of God works through the Word of God to change the people of God. And as we're reading through the good news this week, we are reading through the Psalms, and uh, our reading's going to come from, and our message from Psalm 73. If you have a Bible, please turn to Psalm 73. The title of our message is, It's Just Not Fair. If you need a Bible, the service team are coming down. Just raise your hand. If you forgot a Bible, they'll get you one. So we look at Psalm 73. There is a problem. There's a conundrum. There's a difficulty that is stumbling this Asaph, this man of God. It is a stumbling that many of us ex have experienced even recently in these last couple of years, but it's really innate in our human nature to have this struggle. Years ago, as my children were growing up, my daughter was at that age where she was, she was talking, but oftentimes we needed her older brother to interpret for us, if you know what I mean. So he talked to her and conversed with her all the time. And so if she was saying a phrase or a word that we didn't understand, we would look to our son Caleb. She was two and uh, he was four. And as she was saying this phrase for about three weeks and we just could not get it. And I looked at Caleb and I said, Caleb, what is your sister saying? And he shrugged his shoulders like, I don't know. No, he really did know. But one day we stopped at a stop sign and they had, Caleb had the responsibility of splitting a candy bar and you know that that's like World War II with children. <laughs> Who's going to get the big half? Who's going to get the little half? And my daughter got, as she always did, the short end of the stick 
And she screamed out clear, articulated, uh, very phonetically sound. She said, it's not fair. And we were driving in our, our van, and we were at a stop sign, and I said, oh, honey, you've got a long life because life is just not fair. And there is a desire for justice and equity and equality within our souls that when we see injustice or we see things that are unfair, but we real live in a fallen world. And this is the struggle that it's just not fair to see ungodly, evil, wicked people prosper in power. It's just not fair, is it? And godly people struggling and eking out a living and barely surviving. Now, this is the conundrum that a child of God can have, so much to the, the point that the psalmist here, and this is really apropos because this is, there's five books that the 150 chapters of the book of Psalms is actually broken up into five segments. This is the first of the third segment in the book of Psalms that Asaph, this incredible, insightful, and for our good here today, has bared his soul so that you can see really the intricacies of things that you feel consistently, but you do not have the courage to speak out loud. Let's read it. Let's stand for the reading of the Word of God. We're going to read through the first nine verses of Psalm 73. Truly God is good to Israel, to such as are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped. For I was envious of the boastful when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. There are no pains in their death, but their strength is firm. They are not in trouble as other men, nor are they plagued like other men. Therefore, pride serves as their necklace. Violence covers them like a garment. Their eyes bulge with abundance. They have more heart, uh, more heart could wish, more than heart could wish. They scoff and speak wickedly concerning oppression. They speak loftily. They set their mouth against the heavens, and their tongue walks through the earth. Father, we ask that the confession of the psalmist would resonate in our hearts today for our own struggles with these issues. Lord, we don't come for a feel-good message, but a transforming message for our souls. Lord, we pray that your spirit would do supernatural things to awaken our hearts to these truths and realities to set us on a course that remembers your goodness, turns us back to you, and focuses all of our hopes and dreams are in your hands. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to talk to you about five things when it comes to this message, it's not fair, really surrounding the issue of envy. The first is the danger of envy. Envy is the feeling of ill will towards another because of their prosperity or their blessing. Really, the first step to envy is covetousness. I want what they have, and since they have it, I hate their guts. That's what envy is. Now, don't look at me like you've never had that, right? 
If you are breathing and your temperature is 98.6, you've experienced envy. We call it the green monster of envy. Now he says this. He wants to make he wants to set the record straight. This is what he knows intellectually, that the rest is what he feels. Do you know you're this being that has three dimensions to your being? You have thoughts, you have emotions, and you have a will to make decisions. Now his thoughts are correct. And then he starts by saying in verse 1, truly God is good to Israel, to such are as pure in heart. Now we know that. We acknowledge God is good. Amen? He's good all the time. God is good. But as for me, <laughs> I'm not always good. Have you discovered that your fallen nature never misses an opportunity to get you into trouble? In your own mind, your own thoughts. And he says, but it, as for me, I, I almost fell on my face. I almost stumbled. I almost actually walked away from God, washed my hands. If we are not awake, we are now. Oh. My heart goes pitter-patter. My steps had almost slipped. I almost just said, you know what, God? I can't take it. I cannot take these people being so prosperous and so ungodly and so wicked, and so powerful, and so oppressive, and nothing seems to happen to them. It just seems to keep going, and going, and going, and going. And people's faith has been stretched through this pandemic because of observing exactly that. Watching people in power. The greatest wealth transfer in human history from the oligarchs in the tech world becoming excessively rich in two years while the rest of people suffer. Business is closed. Out of work, quarantined, all of these oppressive measures. He says in verse 3, For I was envious of the boastful when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. I envied them and that they had this prosperity, that they had this power. Now, there's, there's two dangers to observing people that prosper in wickedness. One is you want to have what they have without, it appears, they have no consequences to their bad behavior. The other is that you fret against them in rage and anger. Now, keeping our heart free from envy is a real key. We need to Guard our hearts, because Solomon tells us, out of the heart flows the issues of life. I have to keep my heart in a good place if I'm going to be a blessing to others. Solomon says in 1430 of Proverbs, a sound heart is life to the body, but envy is rottenness to the bones. Now, sometimes it doesn't have to be tech oligarchs that are getting wealthy on the backs and oppressing people. Sometimes it's you have that brother at Thanksgiving that's really successful, and you're not, right? And you're walking with Jesus, and he's not. And you're like, what gives? I love you, Lord. But he flashes his money around, and all we hear in the family gatherings, why can't you be more like John, right? It's this comparative thing. 
Proverbs 23:17 says, Do not let your heart envy sinners, but be zealous for the fear of the Lord all day. I can be envious of people that have things that I do not, or power that I do not, or possessions that I do not, or relationships that I do not, or success that I do not, or I can walk in the fear of the Lord. It's really a matter of my vision and my perspective. I can walk with the Lord because He's going to set things right because He wants you to know how to be delivered from envy. This is so crucial for us to discover this. As I said, there's two ways that you can be troubled when you look at people that are prospering. One is that you want what they have, and others that you are filled with rage and anger towards them, as Psalm 37, verse 7. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret because of him who prospers in his way, because of the man who brings wicked schemes to pass. Cease from anger and forsake wrath. Do not fret. It only causes harm. I've been angry and fretting for a couple of years now. And I've had to constantly bring myself back to this passage of Scripture, and the Lord just ministers to my heart. Hey, Rick, if you fret and you fume because of the prosperity of the wicked and what they're doing, it's only causing you harm. So as my heart turns and I begin to pray for those who are in authority, for God to deal with them, my heart is free. I just tell Jesus on them every day, all day, seven days a week. And my heart remains free because I am doing something with what is inside of me. I am casting all my cares on the Lord because he cares for me, and I'm burdened by these things. I'm burdened by the state of our country. I'm burdened with the state of our school system, what they're teaching children and transgender and critical race theory that white kids should be separated and ashamed of their color and apologizing for the white privilege. It's unbelievable what's going on. In America, I would never wish that for any ethnic group, any color of skin, any language group, to teach your children to be ashamed of the color of their skin. So with these things, I can either get angry and fretful, or I can be grasping and envious and want what they have. Those are the two directions my wicked soul can go. And I have the propensity to dwell on these things so long that it begins to destroy my own peace, my own calm, my own, my own faith, hope, and love, the good things that God has for us. So this is the struggle that the psalmist is going through. There's nothing new under the sun. He sees these people in power. He sees what is going on. It's really troubling to him. But you see, he really unpacks what is going on inside of him, and now we see the distortion of envy. Because envy is not honest. Envy is not truthful. It is deceitful and deceptive because the devil will take our fallen nature and want to twist it to push us further away from the Lord. Notice these statements. None of them are true of the ungodly and the wicked and those who prosper. It says, for there are no pangs in their death, but their strength is firm. That's not true. They die like any other coward that doesn't know God. That's not true. They are not in trouble as other men, nor are they plagued like other men. That's not true. They have troubles. You can't live in the human experience in a fallen world without having troubles. They have troubles. I, I mean, just, uh, I'm not encouraging you to tune in. Just read a headline or two about Johnny Depp and Amber Heard. 
Do they have some troubles? They got some troubles. <laughs> One suing Johnny Depp, suing her for $50 million. She's suing him for $100 million. And it is a reality TV dream for people that are junkies like that. And their life is a tragedy. Honestly, it's just people like you and me that need Jesus, isn't it? Right? We're just like that. So these things are not true, but this is true. He says in verse 6, Therefore pride serves as their necklace. Violence covers them like a garment. They, they wear their pride like jewelry. They got bling, but it's prideful bling. And like a garment, they wear violence. They don't think anything of violence. Their eyes bulge with abundance. They have more than the heart could wish. They have so much money they couldn't spend it in 20 lifetimes. They scoff and speak wickedly concerning oppression, and they speak loftily. They scoff and speak wickedly of oppression. You see the oppression that has happened around the world, and these global leaders that act just like it's, that's the right thing to do. It hasn't helped anything. It doesn't slow down the pandemic. It, the, you know, masks don't work. Vaccine, you're going you're gonna to get the COVID if you get the vaccine or not, maybe more so than if you have natural immunity rather than just calling it a cold or flu. And it can be a very strong cold or flu. And if you have underlying health issues, it can t accelerate your death. This is true. But the flu and the cold has been doing that for thousands of years. Okay. I never thought I would get an applause for a cold and flu killing people for thousands of years, but you never know. This must be Calvary San Jose. Okay. What's really important to know that envy distorts reality. That person that you envy or you see them or you want what they have and you think they have no troubles because they're not talking to you about their troubles. They have troubles. They have struggles. They have issues. They're human. They're fallen. So do not think that their life is some rosy picture. The only place that life without difficulties exists is a place called heaven. And this is not it. Now, there are disciples of envy. And that's what's happening in an entire generation, whether you know it or not, through the socialist movement in America and the um, basically psyops or psychological operations that is going on uh, covertly and overtly through America through this, this movement of what's called the social justice movement is really a socialism that pits groups against each other of hate. And it pits them against each other. And the, the number one thing that it points to is you should have what that wealthy person has, but you never worked for it a day in your life. So it starts with covetousness, and then it's envy. Now you hate those people that are the haves because you're a have-not, because you still live in your mom's basement at age 40 playing video games and have nothing and expect everybody else to pay for your student debt and not go get a job. And that's justice, man! That's social justice. You work hard. Give me your money. That's justice. And if you want to fire up an entire country of hate and resentment and wrath, just start pointing to the people that are successful, that have worked their tails off their whole life to get their success, 
to a bunch of people that have never done anything through their laziness and say, you deserve what they have and they should give it to you. That's social justice. That's not social justice. That's robbery. <laughs> the Bible is very clear. And, and the social justice movement has moved into what is liberation theology into many churches as well. And they basically just say Jesus was a communist. And so Jesus was a communist, Jesus was a socialist, this is what Jesus taught. This is not what Jesus taught. If you doubt that, look at the parable of the talents or the minas, either one. It's called the Matthew Principle. Jesus gives a talent to ten people, and as he gives this talent, they go out and work hard, and they multiply it, and then they have more. And he said, you are faithful with little, you get more. And at the end, one guy was lazy. He did nothing with the abilities that he had, the resources he had. He buried it in the ground, and he came to the Lord and said, well, here, here's your money. And the Lord said, give it to the guy that has ten talents. And everybody goes, no, wait, wait, he's already got ten. That's not fair. And Jesus said, whoever has will have more. If you're faithful with little, you get more. This is Jesus' teaching on hard work and faithfulness. It's called the Matthew Principle, and it's the antithesis of socialism. So as you work through this, you see there's disciples of envy. You know what? If I want to fire up a crowd, the easiest thing to fire up a crowd with was, is with hatred. Hatred is a powerful motivator. It'll burn down cities. And if the media hates in the same way this nation and our mindset, They'll say that's a peaceful protest if you're burning the streets down. But if you go in on January 6th, they call it insurrection. Now, if it was an insurrection on January 6th, folks, first of all, I was there on January 6th. I did not go into the building. Because I... But even the people that went into the building, if it was an insurrection, it was the first insurrection in world history that was of selfies. <laughs> There's no weapons. There's cell phones and pictures, right? But when people were burning the streets in any town, that's a peaceful protest. They're burning down the police station or taking up an autonomous zone in Seattle. That's peaceful protest. Killing people within the autonomous zone, that's a peaceful protest. We live in an age of insanity and delusion and an absence of truth, an absence of reality. Now, this is what the disciples of envy look like. It tells us these people that are the oppressors, therefore his people, those they're influencing, those who they're riling up, return here and waters of a cup, a full cup are drained by them. They're just drinking in this envy and this hate from these oppressors and getting fired up on it. And they say in verse 11, and they say, how does God know? And is there knowledge in the most high? Behold, these are the ungodly who are always at ease. They increase in riches. So they're feeding people with this oppressiveness. And this is what also is troubling to the psalmist. He's like, look at their disciples. They're just... It's like they're slamming shots of hatred and violence and oppression. They're firing up these crowds. They're winding up these people and turning them loose. Look what is happening to the Supreme Court justices right now. It is against federal law to protest at a judge's house 
to intimidate and change the course of a judicial matter. Flat out, straight up, this is the law of the land. And we have an administration that is encouraging it rather than protecting the Supreme Court justices. The progressive left that moves away from God wants chaos and craziness. Those who want to move in a godly or conservative direction, it's law and orderliness and peace and safety. These are two extremes. So this is what you're seeing. And we're in this cultural war that has started, accelerated by the pandemic, and now it is going to move forward for the next 10 to 15 years, most believe, in a cultural war to see how it turns out on the other side. All of us have a voice. You have to be aware. You have to know what's going on. You have to understand critical race theory. You have to understand the whole transgender, LGBTQ, XYZ, you know, plan to indoctrinate your children at the age of five, asking them if they know if they're either attracted to boys or girls. When you're five or six, right? And we live in an age where people are afraid to speak the truth. If you're out in public and you're having dinner, Five years ago, ten years ago, you could have a regular conversation with a regular tone of voice. But now if you're going to talk about any Christian or conservative things, you go into a hushed whisper. Why? We may be attacked. We may be attacked. Because now there's no freedom of speech. Even Homeland Security is now starting a new department that is going to be the truth police. Seriously. As if the things coming from the White House have resembled truth for some time. They have disciples. Now, the disillusionment of envy, this is where he brings us. And I'm so thankful for Asaph and his honesty because I have been in his shoes. How about you? I have felt this way. In verse 13, the disillusionment of envy, surely I have cleansed my heart in vain and washed my hands in innocence for all day long. I have been plagued and chastened every morning. If I had said, I will speak thus, behold, I would have been untrue to the generation of your children. When I thought how to understand this, it was too painful for me. As I look at what's going on and I just think it's too big, it's too much. I'm from Idaho. I'm just, I'm going to go back to Idaho go live in the woods until all this passes over or until they come for me, right? There's a 350,000 people have moved in the last two years out of the state of California. Historic. And can you blame them, right? When they're proposing bills that a child can now basically be post-birth aborted up to 28 days, basically killed or allowed to die or whatever that is. What kind of barbaric people think of such things? It's unbelievable. It is the godlessness of a nation. It is the godlessness of political leadership. It is the godlessness of a one-party state in the state of California that has forsaken God. And when you forsake God, you forsake everything that is good, beautiful, and lovely. And you become an administration 
that's number one agenda is to allow children to be killed. What kind of culture? Well, you know what? You only have to look at biblical culture. When the children of Israel came into Canaan and they sacrificed their children to the pagan gods, and God said, not only did I never, I, it never even came into my mind to do such a thing. That's what you did with unwanted pregnancies in the Old Testament, as you offered them to a pagan god and sacrificed them. What do you do with unwanted children in the United States of America? You have a doctor take them apart piece by piece from the womb. America is in desperate need of a revival. And the only answer for America is the gospel of Jesus Christ. The psalmist said, I was so disillusioned, I just sat down and it was just, it was too much for me. I just, I, I just couldn't handle it. So as we wrap it up, I want to share with you the deliverance from envy because I need it. How about you? I need to be delivered from this dark place that not only my circumstances and my distorted vision and focusing on the wrong things can get me. It can get me in the wrong place. So the deliverance from evil, uh, envy has three steps. And we see step one, first of all, by remembering in verse 17 through verse 20. Until I went into the sanctuary of God, then I understood their end. Surely you set them in slippery places. You cast them down to destruction. Oh, how they are brought to destruction as in a moment. They are utterly consumed with terrors. As a dream when one awakes, so, Lord, when you awake, you shall despise their image. The psalmist said, I forgot all of this until I came into the sanctuary of the Lord. Here you are in the sanctuary of the Lord today. How often you can just come on Sunday. You came last Sunday. You are so strengthened. You are so encouraged. You're so blessed. And, and it's as you hit Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And you just came desperately with your hands hanging down like this week. Just beat the tar out of me. I watch too much Newsmax. Right, seeing what's going on. And so the house of the Lord is a place that we worship the Lord and we get our eyes off the oppressors of this world. We get our eyes off, to, off of temporary prosperity and we look to eternity. So we begin to worship the Lord. We lift our hearts, we lift our minds, we begin to worship the Lord. We remember that this life is a vapor. It's here today. It's gone tomorrow. We have 70 or 80 years, and then we're going to be in heaven for eternity. And we're living for eternity. And we want to be salt and light while we're here. But the psalmist said, this is what happened. Until I went into the sanctuary of God, then I understood. You've put their feet in slippery places. These people, I want you to know... All of the evil that is happening right now around the planet, even in our own administration, and the, the wickedness, there is a judgment day coming for all. And so my heart now is lifted. I don't have to be the judge. When I get, but God's going to do something about it. Isn't that great? All these people are headed towards standing before the Lord. Anthony Fauci is going to have to give an account for his life, what he has done. All these people are going to have to give an account 
for what they have done to make billions with the, the big pharma and the side effects of the vaccine and what they knew to be things that children are being affected with, swollen hearts and just, I mean, the, 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 it's infuriating. And how they pump it and how they have the big money and all the advertisements, they just cram it down our throat. So first I have to remember, I have to come in to the house of the Lord, get my eyes on the Lord and hang out with the people of the Lord and say, you guys, this is not our home. When we're on our way to heaven, and these people are in slippery places, they will pay, they will stand before the Lord. But next, after I remember, then I, re, I need to repent. I need to change my mind since now I remember eternal things in the Lord. Verse 21, thus my heart was grieved and I was vexed in my mind. I was so foolish and ignorant, I was like a beast before you. Lord, I was like a stupid animal. I got so off track. You ever feel that way? You just follow your animal instinct, whether it's covetousness, envy, or lust, or anything destructive, and you get to the end of it, and you, like the, like the prodigal son that when he, when he was feeding the pigs, it says he came to himself. It's just like that aha moment when the light bulb goes on, and you go, what an idiot I'm being. What am I doing? I, I'm, I'm destroying my inner life, or I'm destroying my outer life of relationships. Well, what am I doing? I'm, I'm like a, a stupid beast. So once I remember the Lord and I remember eternal things and I, I put everything in its proper order, who I am in my humility, who God is, he's going to sort out and judge the oppressors of the earth. And to realize that even though those who are rich and famous, godliness with contentment is great gain. If I have food and clothes and a roof over my head, I'm a blessed man. No matter how wealthy a person is, he can only sleep at one, in one bed at night. And I have a bed at night. So his might be fluffier. <laughs> but he's still got a bed. He can only drive one car at a time. I can only drive one car at a time, right? He may have a whole fleet of them, but so what? Have you ever thought how silly it is to get wrapped up in this? Basically, if I have food and clothes and Jesus as my Lord and Savior, I'm the richest man on the planet. So this is what returning looks like. He's remembered who the Lord is. He's come into the house of the Lord. He's been refreshed and strengthened. He's repented. He's talked to the Lord about his own stupidity, which sounds like a daily prayer of mine. And then he returns. He returns with confident declarations of who the Lord is and who he wants his relationship to be with the Lord. And I can't spend a lot of time on each one of them. I just want to read them slowly and let them sink in and soak into your hearts to bring you to that place of that confident assertion of who you are, who you want to be in your relationship with the Lord. In verse 23, nevertheless, I am continually with you. Lord, your presence. Your presence is what's meaningful. You hold me by your, my right hand. Lord, you've held on to me through all of this. Verse 24, you will guide me with your counsel and afterward receive me into glory. 
man, I need the Lord's daily guidance, and I'm ultimately going to be received into glory in heaven. Verse 25, whom have I in heaven but you? There is none upon earth that I desire besides you. There's no one, Lord. You know, when Jesus was teaching some hard lessons in the Gospel of John chapter 6, all these disciples began to leave. Jesus looked at the 12 and he said, are you guys going to leave too? Jesus was teaching them a, a strong metaphor or illustration. He said, if you don't eat my flesh and drink my blood, you're not, you can't be my disciples. He wasn't talking about cannibalism. He was talking about feeding upon him as the savior of the world and his cleansing blood washing away their sins. But they didn't get that, and that's understandable because Jesus oftentimes talked in confusing things to them. But he looked at Peter and the other 12, and he goes, hey, are you guys going to leave too? And Peter says, Lord, to whom shall we go? We have believed and come to know that you are the only Son of God. Doesn't Jesus ruin you for going anywhere else? Like, where am I going to go? Like, Jesus has filled me with his love, joy, and peace, patience, and kindness. He's transformed my life. And am I going to trade that in to, for the bar down the street? Or the drug dealer down the street? Or some, you know, whatever, running after the well? It's like, Jesus ruins you for any other answer to life because when you pursue it, you know it's empty before you even get to the end of the road. The psalmist says, there's none upon earth that I desire beside you. Lord, you're it. This is where I want my heart to be, but envy, you see, takes me away from that place pretty soon. My heart, wherever your treasure is, there your heart will be also. That treasure gets on things or on money or on a person or on a situation, whatever it is, then my, wherever my treasure is, there my heart will follow. What's valuable to me, my heart follows. And here the psalmist says he's returning. He's coming back to that first love. The very thing that John the Apostle, as he's writing the book of Revelation, Jesus speaks to the church of Ephesus, and he tells them three things. He said, I want you to remember where you've fallen as you've left your first love. I want you to remember our first love. And I want you to repent and turn around. And then I want you to redo, do those first things. Do you remember when you first fell in love? This week, my wife and I are celebrating 36 years of marriage. And uh, from our first date last, uh, last month, from our first date was 40 years. I remember those first days and uh, getting letters from Tammy when I was away in Sun Valley pouring concrete between my junior and senior year of high school and getting letters with a picture in there and, and your heart, you know, for me, Tammy's the only girl I've ever loved in my whole life. And just those early days where you just, you're just kind of, those who study relational things, say for that six months to a year and a half, you have this euphoric, what, you know, on Bambi, they call it being Twitterpated. You're just, you're just like gaga and stupid. You can't live in that place for a long time because nobody could survive. But... <laughs> Eventually, you have to come back to real life. But you remember those early things. Now, I've been a pastor for 32 years, and I counsel people. As I counsel people, they're about ready to get divorced. They've been married 15, 16 years, whatever. 
And they come in and they've got this long laundry list of just attack. And when you open it up, boom, 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 they attack. And it's so great, I used to just pull back and say, hey, wait, 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 let's just push the pause button. I'd like to hear about how we got here. Why don't you tell me about your first met? And you can just watch their, their shoulders almost kind of soften. And they begin to talk about it. And after a couple of moments, they actually smile and maybe giggle at one another about those. The first love. And through the offenses of selfishness for the last 15 years, they've built up this animosity. But if you can get back to that first place, your relationship with Jesus is that way too. Getting back to that first place. Remember when you fell in love with Jesus and you just came into a service and they're playing a song and you couldn't even open your mouth to sing because the tears were running down your face? There's nobody on the earth that you desired besides him. You had fallen in love with the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He had forgiven you and washed you of your sins. And there's nobody that has ever loved you and accepted you like him. The psalmist is going through that experience in verse 24, excuse me, verse 26. My flesh and my heart fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For indeed, those who are far from you shall perish. You shall destroy all those who desert you for harlotry. God, you'll deal with the wicked and the ungodly. But the capstone of verse 28, but it is good for me to draw near to God. I have put my trust in the Lord God that I may declare all your works. And his heart was fully and completely delivered from the it's not fair attitude of envy. Let's pray. Father, we ask that your spirit would do a work right now in the hearts of your people, your love for them. They have come into the sanctuary that they might have a recalibration of their faith. Bring those who have been in disillusionment and distorted views into a place of clarity to remember you and who you are, to return to you through repentance. And to declare that, Lord, to whom am I going to go to, Lord? You alone have the words of eternal life. Lord, refresh your people. Strengthen your people. Cleanse your people. Build us up, Lord, that we might be useful for your kingdom. Till we see you again. In Jesus' name, amen. Light in the darkness, I won't hope for the hopeless and rest for the weary mind. And you've got truth for the taking, but my heart won't be shaken if today be the day that I die. Whoa, 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 whoa. trouble I keep my heart seeking you oh I will keep my heart seeking you whoa whoa
into trouble I'll keep my heart seeking you I will keep my heart seeking